of first reading is from Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 8. We will be reading from the New International Version. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distractly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that just happened and sent them to Joppa. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Sharon here. It's good to be together with you in worship and now together around God's word. You know, recently I had a surgery on my eyes to correct some lens issues. And they had warned me that before the anesthesia wore off on my eye, that I would have some problems with my vision. Double vision, slanted things, maybe some other things. And sure enough, there it was as I took the, the Band-Aid off my eye, um, seeing double of almost everything, all slanted, and even a purple haze around everything. It was quite disconcerting. Of course, it didn't last forever. It faded away in my eyes now. I'm so grateful I had the surgery done. I can see clearly, read clearly. It's a good thing. Maybe you too have had times where you haven't seen clearly. Oh, it could be your eyesight, but that's really not what I'm talking about here. It may be something where you have not seen things as you've needed to see them. Not a physical problem with your eye, but something that you've been confused about or unclear, and suddenly God makes things clear for you. Well, our sermon this morning is called Double Vision. And it's not the kind of double vision that affects personal eyesight, but a story where things were corrected to see things more clearly anyway. Two men from two people groups have two different visions, and God uses it to shift his picture in that early church of what his community, his beloved community, was supposed to look like. God's Spirit intervening to show something new to these people, to these men. We've been in this series called Holy Disruptions with stories out of the book of Acts. How the Spirit was the, is the main character here, shaping the early church, moving people in ways that were for good and for the extension of the witness of Jesus. We heard, we've heard stories about powerful healings and inspiring sermons where people have come to know God and his love 
But we've also recognized that there are times where the spirit's movements are bewildering, even painful, uncertain for those first believers. Last week, Pastor Nancy shared the story of Philip, who trusted the Holy Spirit's disruption and said yes to go to a certain place and there was able to encounter and explain faith to an Ethiopian eunuch. He went past his comfort zone by the work of the Spirit. And today we see a double disruption, a double vision. In fact, as the story unfolds, we're made aware that God is intervening in a doubly important way to show what his community will be defined by. Acts chapter 10, it's really a pivotal chapter in the whole book of Acts. In fact, in the entire New Testament, it's a turning point that shapes what the church becomes and that really shapes who we are as members of the church of Jesus even today. Because these double visions set in motion this critical phase of expansion of God's people. The good news had spread geographically, it spread demographically, and it reached to some of those detested Samaritans and to this marginalized Ethiopian. But in this story, in this text, we see one of the most entrenched barriers in society being broken down. Braden read the story for us of this first vision, and it was given to a Gentile man. And if you have your Bible text with you on your phone or in print in front of you, I encourage you to open Acts to Acts chapter 10. Acts is the fourth book, excuse me, the fifth book in the New Testament after the first four Gospels. So you can find it there. We're in Acts chapter 10. We read about this man who lived in this coastal Roman city, Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was the headquarters of the Roman army, the Roman occupation in Israel. And Cornelius was an important man in the army and in that town. He oversaw a regiment of a 100 men. He was influential. He had connections in that city and in the Roman uh, forces there. But Luke tells us he was also a God-fearing man, not a full proselyte to the Jewish faith. It doesn't appear that he'd been circumcised or followed the Jewish laws and customs, but he was a man of devotion. He had been drawn to the God of the Jews, and he practiced habits that evidenced his devotion. He prayed regularly. He gave gifts to the poor. He, his whole family followed in his devout faith. And it's in the midst of one of his routine practices of faith that God intervenes, the spirit interrupts. The text tells us it was an angel of the Lord who appeared directly, distinctly, it says, to Cornelius and says his name. And Cornelius responds immediately, what is it, Lord? What is it? And so he hears these instructions from the angel, this message from God. And Cornelius obeys immediately. He shares the vision. He shares the story with his servants and sends them on their way to Joppa to find this man that has been spoken about in the vision. He's not exactly sure why Peter 
is supposed to come. He just knows he's supposed to go and find him and bring him to his home. Cornelius responds with a yes. You know, Cornelius's vision was straightforward, as was his devotion to God. He demonstrates it in his quick obedience. He doesn't yet know how his prayers and his, his giving, his generosity has been remembered by God. But he is ready. He is poised because of the vision God has given him. Well, like any good storyteller, Luke shifts the narrative now from Cornelius and his servants who are on their way to Joppa to the man that they're actually going to see. So let's hear the full version of the second vision. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 20. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was sitting there thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, Three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Here we see Peter, a staunch Jewish man, devoted follower of Jesus, a leader in the early church. And he too is praying, following the, the devotion to God that he has practiced. And it's around noontime. And whether it's from hunger or the heat of the day, Peter falls into a trance, and in the trance, he sees something. He receives a vision of things that could be eaten to satisfy his hunger. A sheet is dropped down from heaven, and it's full of four-footed animals, reptiles, birds. And a, vo a voice tells Peter, get up, eat, take, take something to eat from these animals. We know that Peter recognizes it's the Lord's voice because he refers to it later. He resists this call. I'm not going to eat from these animals. These are not kosher. These are not clean animals. Yes, it's potential food for me, but this would not be right, Lord. After all, Peter is a observant Jew, a follower of Jesus, but yet so ingrained with the awareness that some things were clean and some were unclean that he would not pass that that regulation. He wouldn't break his ethnic tradition. But the voice of the Lord says this to him. Don't call impure what God has made clean. Don't say that something is unclean or common if I, God, have made it clean. The vision, this second vision, is repeated for Peter three times, and yet he's still bewildered. The text says he wonders about what it means. 
this is puzzling to him. And, and we're puzzled in a way, too, because we're not exactly sure what is meant by this vision for Peter. But the ambiguity of the vision is made clear when the Spirit speaks directly to Peter. Just an aside here, that we often, as we read the scriptures, hear that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And I'm not sure how Peter experienced this word from the Spirit, whether it was an audible voice that spoke to him or a clear impression in his mind. But as he recounts it, he knew it was from the Spirit of God. And we can do that, too. We can ask the question, is this you, God, that's speaking? I want to be sure. Well, Peter is sure. He hears this direction from God that says, go downstairs. There are three men there looking for you. I've, they've been sent to you. They haven't just been sent from Cornelius, but I, God, have done this. I have sent them to you. So with this clear instruction and still uncertain of the meaning of this vision, Peter goes down, invites these men into his house, into the home of Simon the Tanner. Before we go further into this pivotal encounter here in Acts 10, we need to just give a little background and remember that deep religious cultural divide that existed between Jews and Gentiles in that day. You know, God's plan had always been clear. He intended to bless the whole world through the covenant community that he established through Abraham. But Israel had twisted that doctrine of election into a doctrine of favoritism. They became filled with racial pride and developed traditions that kept them apart from non-Jews. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile, even a God-fearer, or invite them into their home. Jewish law had been developed over time that showed deep prejudice against non-Jews. They avoided social interaction with Gentiles. It was taboo to go in their home and especially to share table fellowship with them. But in the story, the Spirit, and in the book of Acts, the Spirit had already been disrupting some of those barriers. And we can see it in Peter himself, moving beyond his ethnic perceptions. It's telling that he was staying in Joppa at the home of Simon the Tanner. Now, the occupation of a tanner involved dead animals, making the hides sellable. And so Peter was in the home of someone who was dealing with dead animals, and that was not kosher. And so already you can see he's, he's moving beyond what had been traditional in his way. And here he offers hospitality to see these Gentiles, these men from Cornelius who've come to visit with him. But were they fully included in the movement of God? The text tells us the next day, Peter goes with these men to see Cornelius, and he breaks down an even stricter barrier of culture and ethnicity and religious practice. He goes into their home. The vision has become more clear for Peter now. He tells them very clearly, it's against our law for us to come into the home of a Gentile, and yet I'm doing this because Peter is beginning to see that that vision God gave him three times was not just about food, was not just about eating practices, but was about people who Peter might consider to be unclean. 
He says it this way in verse 28. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter is beginning to recognize that God doesn't have a cultural or an ethnic preference. There's no place in the Jesus community to act as if God prefers one group, one way of doing things over another. And as Cornelius shares his own vision from God, Peter knows and is certain, and made certain why he's come to this house. And he begins to tell the Jesus story. Acts 10.35 says it this way, as Peter sees the vision more clearly, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but it accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't have a respect of our appearance, our way of doing things. He doesn't prefer one person or another, one culture over another, one economic stature over another. The basis for inclusion in the kingdom of God is those who fear him, who have faith in him, and do what is right in his sight. Simple belief, receiving forgiveness in Jesus' name, not being a member of a certain nation, observing certain customs. That's not what makes us acceptable to God. It's so telling that in the middle of this powerful sermon that Peter is giving, the Spirit interrupts again and intervenes in a dramatic way. In the very same way that the Spirit came on those Jewish believers at Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out on this household of Gentiles who believe in God. And Peter and his circumcised companions that are there witness it and marvel that God is doing a work. Double visions. The Spirit had worked to bring these two men together, and now a cultural and a spiritual barrier had been smashed as Jew and Gentiles together marvel that the Spirit is given to all who would follow God. The good news of Jesus is for everyone. Jack Levison, in his book on the Holy Spirit, says this. In an unnatural but divinely ordained impulse, traditional borders are broken. Gentiles and Jews brought into contact. All heaven had broken loose and a new community was in the making. Now, I've spent a lot of time just walking through this story, this text from Acts chapter 10, because it is that vital in the biblical story and because Luke gives it that much emphasis. In fact, the story of this is repeated in chapter 11 of Acts, where where the church and some of the believers question Peter about his going into a Gentile home. And then again in Acts 15, when the church is trying to decide, how do we take care of these Gentiles? What does it mean for us to be in community? This this event is so pivotal. But it's more than just pivotal to the story of Acts. It is a story that the Spirit is speaking to us today as well, to Pine Light Covenant Church. What kinds of barriers to community have we held onto that God is wanting to remove? 
How have I personally allowed favoritism of my own way of seeing things or doing things to influence the way I treat others? We have to say, first of all, that we're all prone to prejudice, some of it overt, but often more unaware the ways we respond to people that is part of just the way we've been raised, the powerful influences in our culture that help make us view people with some on the inside and some on the outside. And just as the Spirit gave a double vision to bring two men and two cultures together, I believe the Spirit is stirring us in this day to point out our own prejudices to help us to see the way God sees clearly. I'm not here today to point out anything in your life, but to recognize that we together need to pay attention to the Spirit and consider those things that we've held onto, those prejudices that impact our encounters with others. You might have had views from your childhood, from your church background, that holds different people at arm's length. And today the Spirit is inviting us to see as God sees, no favorites, no inside track. God invites all who would believe in him to share in the community of faith. None are excluded. As we consider the way the Spirit is interrupting in our time, It's all around us in our culture. We, the church, must pay attention. And I know I've had conversations with many of you in these past weeks because it's unsettling. We're uncertain how to move forward. We don't really know the way, but we know God is stirring through his spirit. That's been the point of our sermon series on holy disruptions. That spirit inviting the church to go further, to pay attention to things. And we felt, we felt the rub of these disruptions. We wonder what God's up to in our world, not just through this pandemic and racial tensions, but politically, what is God up to? What, what, what is happening in the divisions around us? And we may intellectually affirm that God doesn't have favorites politically or with a country or with a race or with an ethnicity, and yet our practices may show otherwise. As we come to the end of this sermon and this series on holy disruptions, I want us to remember that we can hold fast to the promise of Jesus. We don't go forward in this alone. Throughout this series, we have been memorizing a verse, a remember verse that our children have been leading us in. And it is something we need to hold on to in these disruptive times. Let's say it together again. Let's remember that the promise of Jesus is for us in this day, in our own holy disruptions. It comes from John chapter 14, 16 through 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of Jesus that helps us move forward in a season of holy disruption. The Spirit will always be with us, our advocate, our comforter, the one who comes alongside, who pleads our cause, 
who is for us, who moves us into the kind of beloved community God always intended. And so as we experience holy disruptions in this season, we don't have to be anxious or burdened. We hold fast to the promise of the Spirit who is always with us. Let's pray in that vein. Lord, we thank you for this reminder, this double vision that reminds us that you are in the business of breaking down barriers that people have erected that keep us from each other and from you. And we invite your Holy Spirit, our advocate, our comforter, to come alongside us as individuals and as a church to move forward, to grow into the beloved community you have always intended. Thank you, Spirit, for doing this work in us. Give us courage. Give us humility. Give us insight to walk in your way. We pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.